Welcome to the sermon podcast of the Midtown Fellowship Granny White Congregation in Nashville, Tennessee. We are currently preaching a series from the book of Genesis called Back Where I Began, The Search for Meaning in the Book of Genesis. It has been said that we can't know what we are supposed to do unless we know what story we are a part of. In the book of Genesis, God tells us in no uncertain terms what story we are a part of. We are a part of His story, a story that He has been writing since the beginning for our good and His glory. We're so glad you've joined us for this podcast, and if you are able, we'd like to invite you to join us in person for worship. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 at 3410 Granny White Pike in Nashville, Tennessee. Y'all can go ahead and grab your seats. Uh, Hey, my name is Brant Benetti. I'm the pastor of our Midtown East congregation, uh, and I'm thrilled to be with you guys again. I was here just two weeks ago, so it's fun to be here kind of so close together. Uh, I'm going to share some news with you guys that I shared with our congregation over at East this morning. Uh, We found a new building for Midtown East to be meeting in. Uh, And it is, guys, such an answer to prayer that what we are experiencing is what you guys are experiencing here, that God is bringing new people uh, to come and connect with Jesus, connect with themselves and connect with this body. You know, we are one church. And what's happening here, it's happening over there in the East. And what that means is that we started to get a little bit tight in the building we were meeting in. And so we're going to be at Riverside Revival. If you care, you can, uh, you can check it out on your phone. Look at some pictures. It's beautiful. Uh, and we are excited about what God is doing, that he's, uh, yeah, that we are on mission with him. And because of that, I want to invite you, if, I won't ask you to raise your hand because I'm going to ask you to do something, but if you live in East Nashville and you come to church here, would you come check out uh, Midtown East? And we laugh, but guys, that's true. We, we do a lot of that kind of shuffling. But let me remind you, we believe what we are doing here at Midtown is we are igniting a movement of gospel transformation through multiple congregations. And years ago, eight years ago, when this community was over in Rocket Town, you guys cut off your arm and sent a group of people in East Nashville to go and plant a church there. Because what you believed and what we believed was that it is important for people to have a church in their community, of their community, and for their community. And that's what we're doing in East Nashville. And I will tell you, it is a hard place to do church, okay? But we're doing it because God is doing it, because God is moving and he's on mission there. And so if you live in East or Madison, Goodlettsville, Hermitage, that kind of like area, I want to invite you to come and check it out. And when you come to check it out, to not think about, man, is this as good as Granny White? That's not the question, okay? The question is, is God calling me to be on mission here? Because if you live in East and you're going to invite your neighbors to come and and be a part of this community with you, I believe it's going to be easier for them to say yes, to come in to do that with you, to say, hey, come down the road to Riverside Revival as opposed to come across the river. Because you all know no one wants to leave and go across the river if they can avoid it, right? So just want to invite you, if you are living in East or that area of town, come and check it out. We'll be in Riverside Revival starting March 26th, which we're excited about. Uh, and we'll be in Memorial Lutheran up until then. So, that's that. I'm going to invite our reader to come up, and that's Christine. Great. Okay, so Christine is reading for us. This is out of Genesis 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip there. It will also be up there on the screen. Genesis 2, verses 18 through 23. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. 
The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up in a place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I don't know. I wasn't supposed to read that too. It's okay. It's the Bible. You know, it's the word, good. The word of the Lord. <laughs> uh, guys, let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. And we trust this morning that your Holy Spirit desires to speak with us, that the same Holy Spirit who spoke through the mouths of the prophets hundreds of years ago who inspired this text is here moving among us. Lord, would you bring these words to life? Would you fill our hearts and draw us toward you this morning? And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So guys, along kind of our road to get to the communion kneelers this morning, we're gonna stop in three places. We're gonna talk about our loneliness we're going to talk about Christ's longing, and we're going to talk about connected living. Um, I'm not much for alliteration. I'm pretty bad at it, but you got some this morning, okay? So our loneliness, Christ's longing, and connected living. That's where we're going this morning. Really, this text, it starts us off in this place of our loneliness, this idea of, of our loneliness, our longing for something more. And to help us capture that, I'm going to have the sound team, they're going to play a song. And while the song is playing, the first 25 seconds, I want you, here's the question I'm going to ask you after the song is played, okay? What does the song sound like? Not like what do the words say, but what does the song sound like? Okay? Are you with me? Okay, go ahead. I woke up at was seven. I waited till 11 just to figure out that no one would call. I think I've got a lot of friends, but I don't hear from them. What's another night all alone? When you're spending every day on your own, and here it goes, I'm just a kid. There we go. It's a nightmare. Okay, that's good. That's good. I know, I will tell you, at East, we got a little bit more people singing along, but they know and expect that I love emo music, so I will give you a pass on that, okay? Uh, but tell me, what did that song sound like to you? Whining. Whining. Okay, what else? Give me another word. What? <laughs> angst. Oh, yes, angst. What else? Whiny, angst. Anything else? Maybe that just sums it all up for us. Loneliness. Yes. Okay, and this is what I, thank you, this is what I love about emo music, okay? It's why I have a song, a, a, a playlist called Teen Angster on my Spotify, is because what it does, in its sound and like the whininess of the voice and the angst, what it captures is the longing and the loneliness for something more. It doesn't matter what they're singing about, that, that longing is there, it's like in the sound of the song. And maybe emo music does not stir that up in you, Okay. Uh, but I will tell you, it is in you. Netflix knows it, right? That's why they spend all that money to buy the rights for Friday Night Lights. And that's why they produce all of these shows that are about teenagers for us as adult people to watch. 
It's because what they know is that we have all of this longing that is inside of us that for many of us kind of like came to life in high school. And what they know is that it is way easier for us to interact with the pain of our longing when we do it through the like warm halo of nostalgia. Because admitting the longing that I have in my life right now, the loneliness that's in my life now is hard. It's painful. But it's real and it's present and it is a central part of what it means to be human. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. This is a shocking verse. Think about what we've been studying through Genesis. What does God say after each day, after he creates? It's good. Seven times, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's, I've lost count. It's good, it's good. Seven times and then he says, it's very good. That's what God says about creation. And then here, all of a sudden, when we've kind of zoomed in on the sixth day, we're talking about the creation of man, right? God says, it's not good. That's supposed to be a slap across the face, a wake-up call that makes us lean in and ask, what's not good? What's going on? It's not good that man should be alone. Now, is Adam alone? Think about this with me. Was Adam alone? No. Okay, who was he with? So that's really interesting. That God himself would say, it's not good that man should be alone, that there's a loneliness that exists in our lives as people if we are not connected with other people. And in some sense, in this kind of very limited sense, what the author of this text is saying, what scripture is telling us is that it is not enough for us to just be in relationship with God. And in that, we are imaging God. Because let's talk about who God is for a minute. Our God, what is unique about the Christian God is our God is a trinity. He's one God in three persons, which means that for all of eternity past and into all of eternity into the future, God is always in existence, in relationship with himself, with other persons, beings who are like him, other persons who are like him, infinite. That we were created for relationship with that God, but like that God, we were also created for relationship with beings who were like us, that is, other humans. We were made for it. It is not good that man should be alone. And then, in this passage, God does this really weird thing where he brings all the animals in front of Adam to name them. So it's not good that man should be alone. And God says, so I'll make a helper fit for him. And then we get this animal parade. Now, if you're hung up on like God's making the animals, I thought it already happened. Let's just for a moment, we'll step out and I'll just acknowledge. Okay, so remember, seven days, God creates the cosmos, six days. Seventh day, he rests. This story in Genesis 2 is like a zoom in on day six. So God's created everything, but he's, he's now creating this garden, this space for man. He's lovingly crafting and cultivating a place to set man into. It makes me think of Roller Coaster Tycoon. You know, you make this beautiful space, pick up the person. and You guys are getting a lot of references from my childhood. So just, that's like, that's what's happening this day, right? It's like God is, in this passage, God is creating and cultivating the space for Adam. And then he's bringing these animals. It's almost like the, the garden itself doesn't have animals in it yet. They're in the rest of the world, but not there. And God's forming them and bringing them in front of Adam, and there's this like animal parade. And Adam is wondering, is this the one that is fit for me? And every time, no. It's not the giraffe. It's not the beaver. It's not the rabbit. I don't know. 
what God is doing in that, guys, is he is heightening Adam's awareness of his loneliness. Rather than pushing the loneliness down, God is making Adam more aware of it. He's making it more acute. I don't know how long it took to name all the animals or whichever ones were there, right? A long time. And that throughout that process, Adam is becoming aware of just how alone he is. And the loneliness that Adam is experiencing in that moment, here's what, guys, here's what we have to understand. That loneliness was a gift because it was preparing Adam for the gift that God was going to give him in Eve. It was preparing his heart for that connection because God does not give us longings without intending to meet them. That every longing that you have, God, God has a plan to meet it. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Here's the thing, though. It may not happen on the time frame that we want it to happen on. That's hard for us. So we're living now in this, in this life where we've got this desire for lonely, or this desire for connection, right, and loneliness. And what loneliness does, the gift of loneliness, is that it tells us when we need connection. It's like the gas meter on your car. That when I feel lonely, the gas light pops on and it tells me, oh, I am in need of connection. And you are only ever in need of connection for three things. You're either lonely for God, you're either lonely for connection with yourself, or you're lonely for connection with other people. And what we're talking about today is that loneliness that we have to be connected with other people. Okay, so loneliness is a gift that clues us in to when God is drawing us into relationship with those around us. And let's be clear, we're talking about relationship in general. We're not talking about marriage specifically right here. We'll get to there. Not today, but coming, coming up. But what we have done in our kind of current cultural moment is we have made romantic love the apex of relationship. We have, uh, the, the world that we live in, it tells us that if we are not married, we are destined for loneliness for the rest of our lives. Guys, that is an unbiblical lie. You think about at the Super Bowl when Rihanna is up there singing and she says, I found love in a hopeless place. She's not talking about deep, intimate friendship, right? Because, that, because our world worships romantic love. It's talking about, it's the only thing we can talk about. We're obsessed with it. But no, the Bible would say it is possible to have deep, meaningful, fulfilling, connecting relationships and not be married. Like, think about our Lord, right? Who is the, the fullness of what it means to be human, who knew everything that it meant to be a person who experienced longing and loneliness, and we're gonna get there. He did all of that, and he experienced real connection in his life, and he did it without ever being married. And the church has gotten this wrong at times, and let's, let's say we are saying something different here this morning. What we are acknowledging is that you were created for deep, intimate relationship, and that may or may not have anything to do with marriage. We're created for this connection, but here's what happens to our loneliness often, okay? Because we, our loneliness, it gets distorted. And it gets distorted because we live, we're stuck in uh, the imminent frame. Oh, what is the imminent frame, right? Uh, okay, there's this guy, Charles Taylor, who talks about how in, in the world that we live in, in the late modern West, we live in a world that is trapped in imminence. What that means is that 
uh, our worldview, we've, it, we're saturated with this idea that there is nothing beyond what is right in front of us. That the only existence is the existence that's happening right here, right now. Sure, there might be a God or whatever, okay, but there's kind of like a brass ceiling is how one author describes it. It's as if our prayers go up and they bounce back. Yeah, maybe God created this thing. Maybe he set it in motion, but he's not like intimately involved in our lives. And even as Christian people, we can know that's not true, but because we've been raised in this world, because it's all around us, we live like it's true. And what that does to our loneliness and our longing is it means that we demand that it be fulfilled right now. That if I'm lonely, I think, what's wrong? What's wrong with you all if I'm lonely? Right? I look at my marriage and I think, what's wrong with my wife? I should have married someone else. I look at my friends and I think, well, you guys must not be very good friends then because I'm lonely. And I thought that we were all in this pact together. We had formed this alliance to ensure that we would never, ever feel lonely again for the rest of our lives. Yeah, when that is how we're living, it distorts things, doesn't it? It makes us controlling. It makes us manipulative. We consume other people in relationship. Rather than appreciating the differences of those around us and the people that God has put in our lives, we try to minimize them and like take, them, take that person into ourselves. That's why we get enmeshment in our relationships. That's why the boundaries between us and other people can become so blurry. Because we're demanding that those longings be fulfilled right now. It distorts our loneliness. Have you ever felt ashamed because you're lonely? Is anybody with me this morning? Yeah, okay. Uh, like, it makes me think of two years ago when my wife tried to plan a birthday party for me. And she's a planner, so she's very proactive. So two months before my birthday, she's like, hey, what do you want to do for your birthday? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. La, la, la. Okay. She's like, okay, well, you should think about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll think about it. Like a week goes by. Hey, have you thought about what you want to do for your birthday? Oh, no, it's been really busy. We have kids and stuff, so, yeah, I haven't thought about it. We, hey, have you thought about what you want to do for your birthday? Over and over and over. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. And really, what I said to her a week before my birthday was, please stop asking me. Because uh, <laughs> I know it's sad, isn't it? But it's true, guys, okay? I told her, because I, I don't know who I'm going to invite. And I'm afraid that the people I want to invite aren't going to come. That like my, oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, that my, like my friendships in that season had changed a lot. And I was really lonely. But instead of acknowledging that loneliness, I just pushed it down and was ashamed of it. And was feeling the fear and the risk that comes from recognizing you're lonely and knowing that it draws you toward other people. Ooh, that can be a really scary thing. So I just said, I don't, want to, I don't want to do it. I don't want to engage in that right now. And what will happen when you shame your loneliness for long enough is you'll start to suffocate your heart. It's like putting cardboard over that patch of grass you're trying to kill, right? No oxygen, no light, it just dies. And we do it to our hearts. Because we bought into this belief that there's something wrong with my longing and my loneliness. And it's easier to just not feel it. And we are in desperate need of having that part of our hearts revitalized. Of having the Lord bring fresh life to us in that place. 
And that, that is where it's so critical that we talk about the longing of Jesus. Because our Jesus was a Jesus who experienced longing. Because that was true in eternity past. That once the fall happened, when our relationship with him was broken, what he desired, what God himself desired, uh, was to have that relationship restored, that he had a longing for his people. And because of that longing for his people, he came and put on flesh to dwell among us. And we see that connection, that desire for connection playing out all over the course of Jesus' ministry. Like you think of Zacchaeus, you know, the wee little man. This is a man who has been despised and rejected by his community because of the profession that he has chosen. And so when Jesus is coming, there's this Jesus parade and everyone's, they're not letting him through, they're keeping him down. And so he gets up in a tree and Jesus looks up at this despised man and he speaks his name. Zacchaeus, come down because I'm coming to hang out with you today at your house. Oh, and he hurries down because he's so thrilled that Jesus wants to connect with him. Or you think of the bleeding woman, this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and that because of that wasn't able to be in relationship with the people in her community. And so she goes and she touches Jesus' robe and she's healed. But Jesus says, hey, who touched me? And she comes before him and you just imagine she's shaking. She's so afraid of what Jesus is going to say because she wasn't supposed to do it. And he looks at her and he calls her daughter. Our Jesus he has a longing to connect with his people. And he showed it in his ministry over and over and over again. And you want to talk about the heart of Jesus, the emotion that is most natural to him that we see occurring all throughout the scriptures. It's compassion and it's anger. And it's anger because he's compassionate. And this is how uh, Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, talks about this compassion of Jesus. It's described by this word, uh, that I can't pronounce because it's Greek. Splanchizno. <laughs> sounds like spaghetti. It's something Italian, but it's Greek, okay? Splanchizno. Chinsno. Uh, okay, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. So he says, in each of these instances, Jesus is described, where Jesus is compassionate, as acting out of the same internal state. The Greek word is splanchizno, whatever, which is often rendered to have compassion. But the word denotes more than passing pity. It refers to a depth of feeling in which your feelings and longings churn within you. The noun form of this verb means most literally one's guts. That when Jesus has compassion on people, his, 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 he feels it in the depth of his being. He has a longing to connect. And that's our Jesus in the flesh. He's showing us what it means for us to be fully human, to embrace our loneliness and our longing. That's a part of what it means to be human. And for Adam to have that need met, that longing fulfilled in some way, he had to give up a rib. But God put him to sleep, you know, I don't know, the anesthesia, the whole thing, right? It's a very cushy treatment. 
Not so with Jesus. Jesus didn't give a rib. Jesus gave his whole self on the cross. That is body, his body broken and mangled because of his desire to have his connection, his longing for you fulfilled. He didn't give up a rib. A rib he had a spear pushed through his ribs. That is what your Jesus did for you because of his compassion for you, because of his desire to be with you and to connect with you. And guys, that is the same Jesus who promises us, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm always with you. It means that we have something Adam could not even have imagined because the God that Adam was in connection with was, was a God who was a spirit. And yes, that is still our God, right? That's God the Father. He did not encounter God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, like we have. That Jesus who promises that he knows what it is like to be human, that, I mean, there are parts of your story and parts of my story that no matter how much we talk, no matter how long we spent in conversation, no matter how well we knew each other, that you and I could not share. Proverbs talks about that. There's a depth of sorrow and a depth of joy in our own heart that no one else can know, but Jesus knows it because he lived it and he is with you. You are not alone. What's true about you? You are secure in the love of your Jesus who sees everything about you and in all of those places loves you completely. All the things that we tell ourselves, all of, the, all of the sin, all of the shame, all of the things that push us away from relationship, that make us reject vulnerability, Jesus has seen all of those things. And guys, it is precisely in those places that Jesus' insides for you churn the most. Those are the places that he has the most compassion for you. You are never alone. And that changes now the way that we get to engage with our own longing. We get to have our longing, our loneliness restored to us in a sense. Rather than shrinking away from it, rather than using it to control or manipulate, rather than being ashamed of it or trying to deaden our hearts, we get to acknowledge, Lord, you have given me now this gift. I can recognize it as you drawing me toward connection with other people. And I can do that from the security of my existing relationship with Jesus. That if I come to you because I'm lonely, I want to connect with you, and you reject my connection, I'm going to be okay. Because I'm not alone. That changes the way that we now engage with this gift of loneliness. So after my birthday debacle, right? realized, okay, I think I'm lonely. And so I called my friend, Tim, who was sitting here this morning, and I said, Tim, uh, do you want to have breakfast every Thursday? And he was like, every Thursday, like for a month? Or... And I was like, you know, just indefinitely. <laughs> uh, and he said, yes. And that's been a huge gift to me. To recognize, oh, Jesus, the gift of loneliness is telling me something. And there are people around me, guys, Tim and I were friends for a long time and then had a gap where we just didn't see each other a lot. 
that's okay. That the, the, the gift of the loneliness to say, Lord, what, is, what do you have in front of me now? As I, this is true for a lot of us, right? That we look into our past, we compare where we are now with where we were before, and that makes us feel even more lonely. Okay, let's just acknowledge that when you were in college and you lived with all your best friends, of course you felt more connected to them. That's okay, okay? That's not going to be the same anymore. You can let that go. I'm just here to let you know, let it go. And accept the gift and the opportunities for connection that God has right in front of you now. You feel that loneliness. The question is, where in your life are you being called to make space for genuine, authentic connection and relationship in your life? The other night, we, we had the chance to have some friends over to our house. And guys, I will just tell you, our house was not in a state that I like it to be in when people come over, you know? <laughs> That's okay. They came over anyway. And the kids were like doing whatever they do, you know, making it more of a mess. And for, I don't know, maybe 45 glorious minutes, we sat across from our friends, and we were each holding our babies, and we got to connect. It's so easy for me to think about, oh, well, you know, we should have done this earlier. It's been so long. We can spend time talking about how long it's been or we're in afterwards about when are we going to get together again? How am I going to make sure? How are we going to grow? How are we going to... Whoa. The, the gift of what we're talking about here is that when, when God uses loneliness to draw you into connection with the people around you, accept the gift that it is, even if it's 45 minutes, even if it's five minutes. It gives us a totally different freedom for the way we experience connection with the people around us. It allows us to let go of our expectations and all of our comparisons. And to trust that as we do that, Jesus is going to give us opportunities for connection with the people around us. And guys, that also has a lot to do with who you are as a community, with who we are as a community, right? Because we're one church. I was talking to a friend uh, earlier this week who is Midtown adjacent, you know? He's like been around Midtown people, goes to a different church, but he's like, oh, loves Midtown, went to Midtown for a while. And I was asking him about some vision stuff we're doing. He said, you know what is, what I always experience with people from Midtown is that they are really good at connecting. And that when I'm with them, they are always sharing the gospel with me. Like, oh, praise God. And that's the kind of community we want to be, right? And even when you're here on Sunday mornings, there's the opportunity for you to offer that kind of connection to each other. Even when it's just the passing in the hallway, the getting the coffee, the dropping the kids off for Kid Town, we're talking about more than like, hey, put a smile on, like, ah, it's church, good to see you. That, that's, that's not it. It's the willingness to be secure enough in your relationship with Jesus that when you show up here, you can see the people who are in front of you, even if it's just for a minute. And guys, I don't know which of you are new or not new, okay? I'll just invite you. If you are new, uh, you could still be a part of that because if you, this is your first week, next week the person who comes here has no idea you haven't been here for forever, which means you have the opportunity to participate in this being a place of connection in the way that you offer that to the person who's standing in front of you even if it's just for a minute. That's the kind of community we are and are becoming more of. And, and that is, that's, 
I don't know if that's how we're going to get to the table. We're going to talk about the table now, okay? Because this is the place that we celebrate and remember the Jesus who gave his body for us. Like we talked about, who didn't just give a rib but gave his whole self because of his great love for you. We come to this table to remember that, not just to remember it like some, some kind of ritual ceremony to kind of, like kind of put our minds back, but we come to taste it and to see it because what we believe about these elements is that Jesus, when we take them by faith, is really here with us in a very profound and special way that we are experiencing his compassion, his like the churning of his guts for us at this table. And so when we come, we bring all of our longings and we lay them down here. We confess, oh Lord, there are so many ways I have gone outside of the boundary, the fence of what you have provided to try to get my longings fulfilled. Lord, I'm sorry. Because it's, it's, it's been a sham. They're not fulfilled out there either. Lord, forgive me. Lord, there are these things I desperately want. I don't know what to do with them. And we bring them to this table and we lay them before the feet of Jesus. And we say, you have told me that there is no longing I have that you will not one day fulfill. So do it. And Lord, give me the strength to wait, whether that's waiting years here on earth or whether it's waiting to a new heavens and a new earth. Lord, give me the strength I need to wait well. We lay that down at this table. That at this table, we bring all of our sin all of the ways that we have sought to control other people, manipulate other people, consume other people because of our loneliness, we leave it all here and lay it all out. Father, I'm sorry. And when we do that, we don't get fresh forgiveness, but we're restored to, to, the, to the reality of our Jesus who longs for us. And guys, who even now, do you realize, even now your Jesus stands at the right hand of God the Father and he longs for you that he is looking forward to the day, he says, where I will drink the cup, this cup again with you in the new heavens and the new earth. That he is looking forward to the day even more than you are when he will take his hands and wipe away every, tears from our, every tear from our eyes. So when we come to this table, we are coming to experience that Jesus. And that's why when we come here, the table comes with a warning. Because if you are not in Christ, this table is not for you yet. Oh, and we look forward to the day when it is. But if you're not willing to come and lay all those things before Jesus, then this is not the time, this is not for you right now. So I would encourage you, man, be praying, be talking to God, be asking him to show you and open your heart to his longing for you in this time. And if you are here and there are parts of your life where you are saying to Jesus, you can't have that, oh, friends, that is not love. Your Jesus gave his entire self for you. And when we come to this table, we bring our whole self. So if you were saying, yeah, but to Jesus, then deal with that first. But if you feel your need for him, if you feel your need to need him, this table is for you. Come on, bring it, run up here and, and, and lay all of that before the feet of your Jesus and experience his love and his longing for you. So here's how this is going to work, okay? The worship team is going to come up, and there's going to be space here for you to respond and engage with the Lord. Uh, when you're ready, you can come up here to these kneelers. You can cross your arms when you want prayer, if, if you want prayer. Put your hands out when you want to be served. And after you've been served, you can exit through these doors right here and come back around and find your seat. It just kind of keeps it moving. And with the elements themselves, there's a ring of red cups uh, in the red cups is juice, in the rest of the cups is wine. 
just important for you to know as you're coming up. Uh, so let me read for us the words of institution out of 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have met us here this morning, and we pray that you will continue to do that as we come to the table. Lord, we pray that you would take uh, this very ordinary bread and very ordinary wine and juice, Lord, and that, that you would, uh, as we take it in faith, that you would fill it with your presence, fill us with your presence. Jesus, would you give us the grace of experiencing you this morning at the table as we da- lay down our longings and our loneliness, Lord, uh, our sin and, and in repentance come to you uh, to receive what you have for us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. And we pray these things in Jesus' uh, holy and very precious name. Amen.